Jonathan Fisher is a reporter with a deadline. Why is it I can't get anybody to talk to me out here? Look, I gotta go. He's about to get a dangerous idea. <laughs> but he'd better wise up fast. Because there's only one way to survive on the streets. Out of blow your brains out right now. I'm dead, you're dead. Christopher Reeve, Morgan Freeman, Street Smart. Six hour minimum for all shows going forward. Sweet. That's the new uh, the new thing. That being said, welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we've got a we've got a good one today. This is one that uh, I've been excited about for a, a long time. It's one of those gems one of those gems forgotten movies that nobody talks about and we're bringing it back here on the show but you know we've had we've had a really exciting summer that ended with uh with alcatraz august and we we looked back at point blank and we looked back at the rock which was a very fun episode but then then here at reconsideration it gets dark in september we we always kind of get dark right before halloween we get dark a little early Last year we had we we sometimes do Tarantino things. We did uh, we did True Romance last year. Previously we've done Reservoir Dogs, but we also did like Rolling Thunder and and Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and and we've got another you know kind of darkish movie in in concept here uh, today. And we are looking back at 1987's Street Smart. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's and yeah, and welcome to the show again. We, we're trying to get people in that haven't appeared on the show before. We've got Morgan Freeman today and Christopher Reeve. Wow, look at that! We haven't had them yet. Can you believe it? A podcast that looks back at '80s movies has not had Christopher Reeve. Yeah, that's pretty shocking. I mean, and Morgan Freeman, like he's yeah, he's uh, he's been kind of a staple in Hollywood movies for quite some time but i guess that really didn't start till the very end of the 80s yeah i mean 89 was his big year and and that really boosted him you know to the level that he's been at ever since and but but you wouldn't have had that without this movie in particular so that's kind of kind of the interesting thing one of the most interesting things about street smart is is the uh, step up it gave morgan freeman but but for yeah. those maybe that are just just listening to the show because they love hearing us every week uh, and maybe haven't seen the movie, David, can you give a quick rundown of the plot of the film? Sure. Uh, the protagonist, played by Christopher Reeve, is a New York journalist uh, who he, he tries to make a, a great big story and uh, he couldn't do it. So he, he makes up a story and it impacts uh you know the story is about a, a a new york city pimp and his lifestyle it's like a profile piece and he lies and makes the whole thing up and coincidentally it uh it describes a real pimp who is on trial for murder and he gets tangled in there in all the uh legal and criminal activities 
in his in his personal life. Chaos ensues. It's, Chaos uh, ensues. David, when was the first time you heard about this movie? I can't imagine you knew of it before I probably started. Nope. Uh, getting on my high horse on it. Yeah, uh, I think I you know heard yeah a few years ago you had told me about it and then I watched it. I don't know. I want to say two three years ago. Um, for the first time, uh, I was I needed some reeve. <laughs> Got to get a little reeve once. In a while. I, I was I was hangry hangry for some reeve, and so uh, it was uh, so I had to give that a shot. And then of course you know with Morgan Freeman together with him, I mean that's that's a no brainer. You got to watch this movie. That's what I thought at the time. Yeah, was this a, was this a COVID watch for you? Was this this after can't, COVID? Can't remember. I don't think so. I feel like I th- feel like it was. I feel like it was one of those. You, maybe. maybe maybe not. Maybe right before. It might be around. It could have been. I mean, there was a, not a lot to do at a certain point. I feel yeah. I feel like it was pre just pre COVID for me. Mm. So I think I would have gone down to uh, the video rental store. Mm. Uh, video tech. Video tech in Pasadena. Yeah, I think that's where I would have picked it up and i haven't been there i've only been there in like back in the early pandemic i was only there once or twice and not and not lately so well thankfully they made it through the pandemic unlike uh many many movie theaters yeah r.i.p still going on it's r.i.p arc light (laughs) but i heard it's coming back right the the cinerama dome's coming back and yeah i think the arc light is under some kind of new name and Details yeah. are unclear, but yeah. uh, well, Brent, what about progress? You? That's going yeah, in the yeah. right direction. Yeah, um, uh, we got to have the dome in LA. You got. Yeah, I mean Cinerama. the Cinerama dome is that was a big. I mean that's that was pretty devastating when that closed. Yeah, that, that was closing yeah. down. So yeah, I'm happy to hear that they are gonna. Bring Even it back. if the other arc lights had closed and just Hollywood stayed open, like that would have been. Yeah, I mean the Cinerama dome and that that arc light you know, is iconic. So yeah. it's like to, I mean, for, for sunset right there or, yep. you know, I mean, that Amoeba records, is that Amoeba records still there? I remember it's, like, they that moved. closed down too. Or it that, it closed, was, but that was right before the pandemic and it moved um, yeah. not too far away, but still in Hollywood. Oh, they so opened another location. Deal. Yeah. They, they got a bigger place and yeah. like designed it specifically for the way they wanted. Oh, that's cool. But still I, kind I, of a bummer though. The charm of the old place is yeah. gone. um let's see the question to me is first time when did when did uh, when did i first hear about this movie yes uh i recognize the 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 poster art you know chris Mm -hmm. reeve standing kind of on the looks like a street corner but i had no idea what this movie was about and i had never really seen it i've seen it twice now both times in the last week and so uh, I thought that this movie was about Christopher Reeves being a stand-up com- comedian, just oh, based the off the poster art, because he's standing there. He looks <laughs> like a deer in headlights. He's got the microphone, and that's what I, as from my young kid brain, when I'd see this walking by at the, at the video store, that's what I thought it was. And it was rated R, and I never, it, I never really felt compelled to to watch it. Uh, until we were were prepping uh, for this, oh. yeah. Surprisingly enough, although I, can... I feel like this season there's been a handful of those. So yeah, what am yep. I even doing here? <laughs> I can totally see that. I mean, I had a similar memory. Specific, like I remember seeing the poster in Movies One. That was my local one of my two local video stores. 
uh, pre-blockbuster. So, uh, and it's same thing, like the, the, the cover, that poster just fascinated me. Just, you know, the, the, the lighting that was on him and what's he doing. And mostly it was like, what, what's Superman doing in this movie? Like he's very true. He's not Superman. <laughs> How can that be? Yeah. Uh, and, th and this was, it made it on a list that my uncle had given me uh, that was before I went to film school of must watch movies. And I still don't, I, I think I've seen half of what's on there because some of it is, or at least for a long time was hard to find on video and was out of print. And um, I, uh, and I haven't really gone back to it, but it was, uh, this was one of the ones on there and I didn't see the movie until I think it was the summer of 2000 and I was home home from uh, college, you know, just kind of not really doing anything. And it was like I just caught it on TV in the middle of the afternoon, like like a total couch day, you know, just not doing anything. And I was just completely sucked in like I caught it right as the opening credits hit and I was just like, boom, I, I was in the movie and blown away by it, blown away by Morgan Freeman and such an intense character, which we'll, of course we'll talk about. And, and just seeing Christopher Reeve outside of Superman, um, he had was still alive at the time that I saw this and, and, uh, but it was just, there's not that many great Christopher Reeve movies, you know, outside there, there's only really a handful. So it was really cool to see like something I just barely knew of. So, yeah, and uh, I I loved it the first time I saw it. Watching it now was a little bit of a, uh, you know, I had a little bit of a different um, experience with it. But before we kind of start our deep dive, let's just let's just do a trivia question, like we did in our last episode. We'll come yeah. back to it at the end. The fans love the trivia. The fans love we the 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 mail just came. They came in in bags and bags. Yeah. A lot of good feedback. Uh, this is one of two films that co-star Morgan Freeman and Kathy Baker. Who can name the other one? Ooh, okay. So uh, write in, tweet at us at Reconcinimation Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and fire away. Tell us what you think. End of the episode, we will reveal. So, all right. This is little known story that this is based on a, a I, I believe this was a true story from the Washington Post. Um, a writer who worked for them named Janet Cook admitted to fictionalizing a story about an eight-year-old heroin addict uh, because of pressure that her editors were giving her about coming up with a big story. So uh, she had, I think, won the Pulitzer for it and then had to give it back and you know, obviously let go of at the, at the newspaper. And, and uh, a year later, uh, screenwriter David Freeman writes this story. So, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine this wasn't loosely based on that, but who knows, maybe, maybe sheer coincidence. Yeah, maybe it planted a seed. I mean, there's obviously some major differences between that and this, but, but I see the the similarity and kind of the through line of, of the made up news and it associating with someone in reality. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, distrust, ahead, distrusting the, the popular media, you know, uh, 
it's like you know that's that's pretty heavy that's a pretty that's a pretty big scandal and then like to fictionalize i mean you make up anything any compelling story and add your level of drama to it i could see this being heavily inspired by that right i mean it just makes sense yeah well and i, I can't imagine that i mean god knows how many times that's actually happened and just gone undiscovered now christopher reeve let let's let's come back to our friend christopher here how big of a fan were you guys of his? Did you grow up love? How much did he love Superman growing up? It was such a huge movie, I think, for our generation. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it, it. I. I love his Superman movies. I mean, at least the first three. The fourth one. Three. Are you kidding? Yes, absolutely. With the Richard with Pryor Richard Pryor. Movie? Hey man, we've talked about this before. The, yeah, the Richard Superman, Pryor movie, co-starring Super Superman. Superman three is low key awesome. Just <laughs> heads up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, whatever your feelings are for Superman three, uh, uh, Christopher Reeves was you know like a huge influence, like you were saying for for children growing up in that time period, and and um, yeah, I loved Superman. As a matter of fact, as soon as I finished watching this movie i turned on superman <laughs> yeah like i was i was like i need a christopher reeves movie that i can get behind yeah i'm gonna watch superman right now because this one fell a little flat for me so at least his his character is i don't know and this is very interesting uh and just to, i feel like doesn't stand up as strong as nearly as like morgan freeman or even kathy baker who you know, for me, those are like the two strongest points of of this movie. Um, but yeah, as soon as as soon as this was over, I was like, "All right, soup, let's check it out. Let's get <laughs> let's get on that." Sure, yeah, Superman was on all the time. That's one of my earliest memories of 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 things on a television. Yeah, um, you know, it's just there. It's so it's it's ingrained. <laughs> it's part. It's foundational. So. You know, if uh, yeah, I, I big I was always a big fan of 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 that Superman, and you know, Christopher Reeve was you know I'd only seen I've only seen a few other movies of his, um, the, uh, along with these, and so uh, yeah, I, I uh, always a fan. You know, one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I Superman was a huge movie for me. It was one of the one of the very first movies I saw. I had one and two. I yeah, I guess one, two, and three on Betamax. And as you have, should, as yeah, exactly. And then I had uh, what was it? I had the first one in a clamshell VHS. You know the big yeah the big tall clamshell that you could drop off the like roof of a building and it would be fine. It's ready for nuclear fallout. Yeah. Uh, but I watched one and two religiously. Um, uh, huge movies. And and he was a huge star. I mean, playing Superman. And, and what's, I think, still considered the best Superman movies. But between the Brandon Ruth and the, you know, the, the was it Zack Snyder? Was it Zack Snyder? Who, who directed the other Man of Steel, yeah, yeah, Zack Snyder, I think, yeah. It was Zack Snyder with the Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman and Justice League disasters. Yeah. <laughs> Although know. I like Henry Cavill as Superman, but agreed, yeah, I don't think he's a bad Superman. I just, I the movies know. are not good. 
don't love the, the path they went on any of the yeah. dc models. i don't yeah so really these one and two are the definitive superman movies and we did discuss them a little bit in our our look back at, at some richard donner films after he sadly passed away and and there's so much uh going on with superman 2 in particular uh where one and two were really shot back to back but donner was fired what three quarters of the way through superman 2 so they brought the producers brought in a new director richard lester to kind of redo some of what uh donner did mostly just so that he could get the credit the the, the actual directed by credit right uh, but then the Donner cut came out years later, which is an interesting view. Um, and, and I've heard back and forth whether people like the Donner cut versus the original. I never really had a problem with the original. So I loved the original. Yeah. But the I Donner cut's wanna, cool too. I still want to see the Donner cut. I haven't seen it. I think my biggest gripe with the Donner cut is that it's, you know, like it's just difficult because it's incomplete. Like there's mm-hmm. just a lot of, um, yeah, it's incomplete effects, it's, right? It's un, yeah, it's unpolished, you know? And so, like, I mean, it's fun to see the intention of some of the things, but from, like, a complete movie-going experience, like, I mean, I think if I was going to sit down and watch one, I would choose uh, the, the theatrical release mm-hmm. over the Donner Cut. Yeah. Yeah, but Christopher Reeve was so huge in the early 80s. I mean, those were, movies were massive, and... At the time, it seemed like he was going to be as big as, as you know, another up and coming person like Harrison Ford. Like there was no reason to believe that his career was not going to progress that way. But he never really, you know, I, I don't want to say he was typecast, but I think he kind of was like he never really shook off Superman. And while he had other great roles like Somewhere in Time and Death Trap, none of those took off Um you know, like Superman did. And he just, and he was kind of stuck with that character. And and even into the nineties, I think, was it village of the damned that he was in? I think it was village of the damned where that was That's you right. know, yeah. one of the few times in the nineties you saw him. And that was right before, I think it came out like right before his accident where, where he was yeah. paralyzed. I mean, um, he was in a bunch of like TV movies and things like that, but yeah, mm-hmm. his, his theatrical career never really, took off and i you know like i don't know i think you're right Uh, i mean as far as being typecast like i think he had a hard time shaking that kind of like wholesome uh you know do-gooder kind of kind of thing you know like superman it's great for the superman movies you know and it works really well and i think i don't know i feel like i got a sense of some of that even in this you know like just some of his delivery and the way that he approaches acting you know like he's sort of soft-spoken and you know like yeah um but it's not that he didn't have range either because you look at superman three where there's like the doppelganger bizarro super villain yeah and he was good and scary you know as as that villain character absolutely i think that was an attempt to show people that he had yeah range right so he's a talented guy he might be too good looking honestly like there's something about how just i mean because i think that with his style of acting i think like there's it's almost like he's too because like his style is a little soft-spoken sure he's got range he can play angry and violent but it it really tonally a lot it's just 
It's like he's he's just such a soft spoken guy in a sense. He's just not so, gritty enough. He's too damn handsome. I can't buy him as too. I don't know. Too, too likable. You know, like is he just too I, I think, appearance wise? Yeah, I think so. I just like that. That could be part of it. I mean, we again, we didn't get to see him really branch out after he was what after in his forties. Like he was injured mm-hmm. when he was forty two. Three, um, but you know, it's so we do, you know, we never get to see him do some. I don't think, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his movies too, but I, I don't know. Well, I think I, like, I'm not saying he's bad, it's just there was something about him that was just like, man, he it's easy to like put him in as Superman Clark Kent because maybe like he kind of is, <laughs> he's mm-hmm, kind of Clark right. Kenty, you know. Well, well, it's I, you know, to me, it's similar to Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, you know, it was like just hard for an audience to see them as anything but that character or something like that character. And I don't know if it was producers also feeling that way and just not wanting to, you know, like, Oh, Superman can't play that, you know, yeah. like they didn't want to get them involved in projects or or what it was, but yeah. I think well, you're and- right though. I think his, his general appearance had maybe a little bit something to do with it. I think, uh, and then I mean, I mean, because look at his actual performance in Superman. He plays Clark Kent, and he then he plays Superman, and he, they are distinct characters. You, you, he plays like, them so well that you you can buy the, the the silliness of the fact that people don't realize they're they're the same person. But like, well, you know, wait, put one of them some, has glasses. Yeah, yeah. Come one on. of them doesn't. They're have not. Glasses. They're not the same person. Dude. <laughs> but what was, was it? Super? Which was it in one or two where he? I don't know. He gets shot or whatever, and then he takes off his glasses, and then he he like Two. grows six yeah. inches, and then like it's like oh shit, <laughs> like yeah. you don't even realize what he's been doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so uh, so obviously, yeah, talented guy. But sometimes I think like some people are just. I bet you on live theater, he must have been dominant, dominant though. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes there's just like someone they're great actors, but somehow they don't translate exactly well to me on on film and tv yeah but on theater they would probably be monstrous and like you know he's juilliard trained you know like uh and i bet you he was wonderful on stage that doesn't mean um you know it doesn't mean that all the parts in tv or or film are are right for him you know well right and there's no movie nothing that i ever see him in where i'm not like there's superman like yeah there's he is, he will always be and forever like who I think of as Superman when people initially start talking about Superman movies. Yeah. I'm like, there's Superman. When I think about Superman just in general, I'm like, Christopher Reeves. That's the yeah. guy. Yeah. Now, do you so. feel that way about Michael Keaton for Batman? Mm, no. Yeah. Because I think we've had, <laughs> I think it's I think Adam West. Had, I think it's, well, I think it's Kevin Conroy. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a we, cartoon. We've had multiple, for Batman, we've had multiple really good versions of it with yeah. totally different people playing Batman. So it's easier to, and, and of course, Michael Keaton was able to have a great career before and after Batman. Yeah. Um, but Kevin Conroy, yes. Christian Bale also, you know, when I think of, you know, mm-hmm. I do think of modern Batman. I I don't think of Ben Affleck or, no, um, you know, anybody else who, who's played them. And I, I, who knows if I ever will. But uh, I mean, but- I again, I, I stand by it. I think Henry Cavill is a good like Zack Snyder world Superman. Like he does a really good job with that Superman. But like the movies just I feel like. Don't hold up. And we could do a whole nother podcast yeah. on why I think that he just set the wrong tone with Man of Steel. But mm-hmm. it's unfortunately like 
that tone carries throughout all subsequent Superman included DC movies. And it just doesn't, you know, like ultimately, like I give Cavill props, but Christopher Reeves is the guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you, I think you nailed it there. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, what this role would be for him and, and whether or not it would have an impact in what, what he's trying to do and how this ties to the other Superman movies. But, um, speaking of what is going on with Superman in 1987, and it's our very good friends, <laughs> Menachem Golan and Jorn Globus. That's right. The group behind the, the, the canon, canon films. Yes. The Canon Group uh, has bought the rights to the Superman films, and uh, from Warner Brothers, which is it was surprising to me that Warner Brothers kind of gave up on it so quickly. You know, they had, one was a massive hit, two is a massive hit, three. I you know I don't know what the numbers were on three, but was definitely not the hit that the other ones were. But I don't know. There was still a lot of gas left in the tank for Superman potentially, and. They, they sold it off to Canon, who, if you want to hear a, a very deep dive about Canon films, listen to our episode looking back on the history of Canon, the Canon group uh, in the archives at www.reconsummation.com. Our, our good friend E.K. Wimmer joined us for that episode. But uh, 1987, 86 and 87 were their prime years where they were putting out more movies than they ever had before. And... Uh, you know, they they had a tendency to try to make deals for superhero films. They also did it for Spider-Man and Captain America and would put uh, would put full page ads out for the movie without having anybody attached to it. Or that was their way to, like, throw something against the wall, like drum up some, some excitement <laughs> as Superman, you know, like, no, but uh, uh, but yeah, they would put kind of you know, misleading ads out there or movies they thought were going to happen that just didn't. But um, Chuck and, Norris is Captain America. That, that should have happened. That should have happened for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it really interesting to, to think about what what were they planning for Superman? Because they certainly were low budget filmmakers who were not going to handle it the same way Warner Brothers did for the first two Superman movies. No. Well, and we saw that in Superman 4. Yeah. Right? But the first Well, and thing didn't they didn't they use like this movie as kind of a carrot to dangle for Christopher Reeves to do Superman 4 cuz he yeah. was also not interested in right in doing that at the right. time. He was really after 3 was done with Superman, was already struggling with finding role good roles outside of it and didn't want to play the character anymore and be stuck with it. But he was, you know, this was one of his pet projects that he was kind of, you know, developing for years and, and the carrot was dangled that, you know, if you do Superman for the quest for peace, we will finance uh, street smart. So, right. You know, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to say no to. And, and yeah. So did Christopher Reeves think that this was going to be an opportunity for him to kind of like shake that oh, image? I imagine. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, I, I mean, with the proper release, 
why wouldn't you think this could be an Oscar contender for him? Yeah. I'm not saying well, it was that, but but before going into it, that like, yeah, this is my this is my Oscar movie. This is the movie. This is a real, you know, gritty character that I can show my range and and uh, it has nothing to do with Superman. And you see the weakness of the character and and just yeah. something that, you know, could really get him critical attention. Yeah. And then along comes Morgan Freeman, who actually does drop an Academy Award uh, caliber performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have to go to Harvard to know what you're doing. You know what I'm trying to say to you, man? Do you? Yes, you do. But then shut the fuck up. You don't tell me how people react to me. I know what people are doing no matter what they say. Because I read minds, you dig? I don't take no shit off of you. Lying through your fucking teeth. I know it. You know it. And this fucking hoe know it. Come on, leave me alone. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, I mean, Morgan Freeman was at this point He'd been around for since I think really the early seventies. He'd been he'd yeah. been acting, uh, but he was anything he... of a but a household name, you know, like oh, nobody, yeah. like yeah, I, and not even recognizable in things other than he was in the Electric Company for I think seven or eight years, which was a within a PBS children's show. <laughs> this is true that. Years later, a good friend of ours, William Jackson Harper, would also uh, get one of his early roles on the the newer Electric Company. Mm. Well, there you go. Everything connects. So it sure does. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, really, if anybody knew him, it was really from that, and to go from doing a children's show like that to Fast Black in this movie is yeah, you couldn't have had a bigger leap. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, polar opposite and po and really like very different than a lot of the roles that he in general is, is in, you know, yeah. like he doesn't play a lot of bad guys, but he's a bad guy in this one. Oh, he oh, is yeah. not a good person. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, really amazing performance here and, and the move, the movie in general, but just before we get back to Morgan, this is one of, I think only two, respectable canon films uh this and runaway train are like the only two real legit um respectable movies that they did amongst your slew of uh you know chuck norris and charles bronson and michael dudikoff films as much as we love all of those listen the dudikoff only does respectable <laughs> Films. Gonna, I am about to get two roundhouse kicks to the face <laughs> before I even say another word. American Ninja 77. <laughs> um, but yeah, Morgan Freeman is is really the, the, truly the, the, the greatest element of this movie. Yeah, um, by far. You know, and, and, and we'll get into the plot here in, in just a minute. Um, well, and, and this could be career launching because this, this got him, I mean, he got the Golden Globe for this. It was now yeah. in a for the the Oscar, but won Boston Society Film Critics Award, Independent Spirit Award. Oh, 100%. Los Angeles Film Critic. That was like this was like if they hadn't noticed him, this was the this was what he was known well, yeah. for, right? Like this is career making cuz oh, look absolutely. at the next 3 years yeah. of movies he comes out. Oh, with. I mean you yeah. look at you look at 89 with I mean like listen, like Lean on Me isn't necessarily the the top draw in that in that year for him, but like 
Lean on Me is a strong performance from him. I, and I then he follows that, that up. Yeah. yeah, follows that up with Driving Miss Daisy, which is like got tons of like Academy acclaim. And then and then Glory, which I mean, everybody in that movie, like, I mean, that launched not only. I mean, more, uh, you know, Denzel Washington's career. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, there's just like that movie was a huge huge deal when it came out like those are three movies all in one year that yeah if you didn't know who morgan freeman was before that year you sure as hell did after that year well that was i mean that was his stamp of you know he is cemented just within that one year that this is now a player no yeah yeah no doubt i mean those are and those are completely different roles three completely different roles and i just watched lean on me a few weeks ago for the first time and he's amazing in it. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Oh, I that was it. the first time you'd seen it? Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, wow. maybe I saw it when it came out, but I, I didn't remember it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back- to your point, David, Fast Black is the one that like that character is what kind of set him on that trajectory for he's, sure. Like yeah, there's no he, doubt. He had to be getting way better offers or, you know, opportunities to audition and whatever. And he's I mean, probably- he was getting rolls with meat like rolls like like yeah. i mean it was you know he was absolutely off, he was probably offer only after that after that after 89 i mean at that point i doubt he was reading much <laughs> For, oh no yeah you know. i mean when you're i mean by by 89 he was a multiple time academy award nominee did he win for driving miss daisy did he win supporting actor he may have so oh, i'd have to look that, that up check that on the reconsider pewter I think it yes. is. He's he's only won once. Yeah. Oh. And I mean, and then the next year it's it like was Million Dollar Baby, but he was nominated for Miss Daisy. Yeah. yeah. And he and of course the uh, the uh Street Smart. So I mean, right. even just getting I mean, the so, Oscar nom there. Exactly, you know. yeah. But between those your multiple Oscar nominee, like yes, you are Yeah. You're not really auditioning for movies anymore. And he never really let up. I mean, no, I mean, the next year it was like Bonfire the Vanities, which didn't do great, but like the expectations for that movie were pretty mm-hmm. high. And then the year after that, it's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was a huge. big deal. Yeah. So, huge... And then Unforgiven, then Shawshank, then <clears throat> Seven, not long after that. I mean, then he was, you know, just top level, top yeah. level. So let me, see, let me see if he was up for a Nickelodeon Kids Choice Award at any point. Please check those right away. <laughs> Did doesn't he get look slimed? like it. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like he was even nominated. But none of those would have happened without this movie. Like yeah, that, right. that's the great thing about it is is the intensity of the role, um the passion that he played this character, the believability of it uh you know showed showed what he could do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um let's yep. talk about Director Jerry Schatzberg, who is far from a household name, uh, he was a New York photographer who was a big part of the scene in the late 60s and into the 70s. He, he, was, he dated Faye Dunaway when she was making Bonnie and Clyde. He shot the uh, Bob Dylan album cover for Blonde on Blonde. So, okay, you know, as oh. a photographer, he was definitely an established name very new york based everything was everything was in new york um he switched over to a director in the early 70s did a movie called panic in needle park which is a great al pacino film pre-godfather 
if anyone is interested, you can track that down. I'm um, looking at this guy right now on IMDb, and I'm not going to lie, Johnny looks like your pops. I'm not. There's <laughs> you got to check this dude out. Like headshot. I've seen him. I'm I've you. seen him. This dude. Oh. Could, this dude look like could be your dad. <laughs> Maybe he was. Sorry, it's <laughs> like a total aside, but I'm like, holy, <laughs> that's Mr. Diner. Uh, what else? He did a movie called Scarecrow, which uh, stars Pacino and the hack, Gene Hackman. Hmm. Uh, another great film, Seduction of Joe T- uh, Tynan with, with Alan Alda, uh, Honeysuckle Rose. All those movies are movies that have seemingly been forgotten by time. Like a lot of the 70s films just never really got huge DVD releases or you know, maybe they're out, just not publicized and not really talked about. They're not, maybe not quite to the level of uh, the big '70s movies, but still good quality nonetheless. Uh, but, but yeah, not nobody talking about those films anymore. Um, this film, the Canon, the Canon Boys, Golan and Globus, looking to save a couple of dollars, <laughs> moved the movie from New York, where it's completely set. Uh, to shoot in in Canada, and they ended up saving about a, one or two million dollars doing that, which was great. But uh, hard to capture that New York feel. I feel like Schatzberg did a great job with still making it feel like a New York movie. Yeah, some of those streets for sure. You know the 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 street shots. Yeah, yeah, I bought it. I was. <laughs> I totally yeah, it feels it. like feels like legit New York. So. Um. Proved, proved it could be done. Uh, another, Brent, you mentioned earlier the other great performance in this movie. Yeah, that's Kathy Baker. Holy Kathy shit. Baker. She's really good in this as well. Yeah. And it's like subtle things too, man, that I picked up on when I was watching it. And it's just like, like there's this scene where they're outside. I don't know if it's like a pizza window or a hot dog mm-hmm. stand or whatever. And Morgan Freeman just quickly slaps her. Like her reaction. Yeah to that slap is like really excellent like it's just like very subtle kind of nuanced but she's really really good in this i mean there's a ton of things throughout but like that having seen it twice in the last week that one stands out i just am really impressed with her performance in this yeah that's that's after they uh leave the you know the party they're invited yeah that's right and he backhands her at the ice cream stand. Yeah, he thinks just... he thinks that Chris uh, Christopher Reeve's character is being condescending. Yeah, yeah. And she's trying to explain that he's not, and he's not, and Morgan Freeman's not having any of it. Yeah, she's brilliant in this. And and at the time, I I knew of her from two things, and that was the what neighbor and Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Also covered yeah. here on the on the podcast, reconsidering. Which she's also great in. Yep. And uh, and she's the the Tom Skerritt's wife, the mom in Picket Fences. Yeah, that was really where I knew of her. So when I saw her in this, I was like, kind of shocked that this wholesome lady could play such a uh, scandalous character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she was also in the right stuff. I think was one was one of yeah. she hasn't she hadn't done very many movies before this, but the right stuff was one um, great film with uh, recently. Uh, deceased Fred Ward and Sam Shepard. Um, maybe we might have to look at the right stuff one day. Yeah, we should. I remember watching that movie a ton as a kid. Uh, it was on like repeat at my house. My grandfather worked at NASA at the time, and it was just like always like we were very NASA 
uh, happy family. So it was like, yeah. definitely. I think Ed Harris is in that as well. Yeah, Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, just yeah, all around. It's just great. a ton. That cast is just incredible. It's huge. Dennis Quaid. It's the first movie also I ever remember that was on two cassettes, like two VHS. Oh, is it? Ah. Yeah. The what? first movie you saw on t- that was a, t- a double tape? That was a double tape. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to remember what mine mine had to be the Godfather. It had to be that one. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get in, let's get into the movie itself here. So and enough with this setup. We we've set the table. Now here we go. So the the theme of the movie, you know, or one of the themes of the movie is is I don't know if media manipulation is the right term for it, but well, yeah, I mean, isn't it kind of a commentary on the honesty in media? Yeah. Like, I feel like back historically, like, it was very important, you know, with sources and checking sources and citing sources, you know, like to fact check and make sure that the the news that was being reported was as factual as possible, had integrity, you know, and I feel like recently that kind of stuff has really been called into question. But But I think this movie is doing that too, right? And yeah. then- you know, I was less aware of it as a kid growing up and really, really honestly, until Gene Youngblood's media and democracy class, like Mm -hmm. that was like kind of the first thing that really like shed light on the fact that like, you know, news, if not kept in check and factual could, could be, you know, misleading and, and send people down the wrong track. And although this is a little, different like it still stems from the fact that like this dude was making something up and it directly was related to somebody who is real and that's what caused like kind of all the turmoil within the within the movie yeah 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 i i mean it's it's very hard to say with the 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 state of media now how many are still fact checking and what that fact fact checking entails um, I think you'll still see that in print journalism for the most yeah. part. And, and I mean, most, mostly everything that's considered journalism is uh, you're, you're still going to see high standards. The problem yeah. is on television, it is completely mixed opinion with editorial. Right. Or, well, you and- know, or, and, and uh, that you can't, there's, there's a, there's just a, a slant in one direction or the other on how things are presented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, there's 20, more of a spin. Problematic. Yeah, twenty-four hours news cycle has has been one of the most damaging things to journalism. I mean, I pro- it's got to be the single most damaging thing. Yeah. What so. was the spring? Was the springboard? I mean, I remember like we're gonna get off the rails a little bit, but was like nine eleven kind of the first? Uh, no, probably happened before with like the Gulf Shield. Yeah, the Gulf War. The I, I think the Gulf War was really where that was where CNN really, really took off. Yeah, yeah. CNN. And then as became. that kind of came up through the '90s, Fox News kind of came up as a counter to it, although not as almost violently counteracting each other until after 9/11, and then they were just. Right opposites but getting further and further you know more and more extreme on either end so it's yeah you know it, it it's it's uh you know it's best not to believe or go with what you see on either site and find yeah. something neutral that isn't really leaning one direction or the other yeah absolutely 
yeah all 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 popular news media is is corporate owned and Mm -hmm. like and the news business used to not be a profit center for these corporations they were always lost leaders so the sitcoms on abc were paying for abc news you know what i mean so it's that's no longer the case so abc news is what not the good morning america and and all that like that's you know it's infotainment and it's not really it's not really a news program i guess but no well you're certainly not getting hard-hitting news on those shows no (laughs) uh but it's uh yeah so you know when i was younger guys it was regis and kathy lee that's where i got my hard news from that's that's where you got it (laughs) was it and you could bake some ziti (laughs) exactly you could break up the news with some one of one of the most horrifying stories for me uh, uh, for this media change is when Jeff Zuck- Jeff Zucker from NBC who had produced Good Morning uh, the Today Show became the president of CNN. <laughs> I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like right. that 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 was it. That was like that that was the final nail in the coffin of like what I you know CNN produces. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't yeah I, I don't oh. like I don't know what he did in a former life to get blessed to do what he got to do but he turned it into uh quick money infotainment real quick yeah uh yeah. so i mean god bless him <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah Sorry. well all right so yeah the, the the honesty of media back then was is was a lot different than now but but even then you know he could the opening scene is 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 Jonathan Fisher is the is Christopher Reeve's character's name, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in with his editor and played by Andre Gregory and, you know, pitching ideas and nothing is at all captivating. And he just on the spot kind of makes up an idea about a uh, fast talking pimp with a high living lifestyle and and uh he gets the assignment to write this story well there is no there is no actual character that he knew um so he ends up making up and fictionalizing this whole story which is ridiculous you know the 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 pimp with the the house in hawaii and like, yeah oh yeah <laughs> i don't think it's, it's outlandish how which uh, it, which kind of points to like the sort of the 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 sort of the white bias of like well what would a you know anyone who's rich like they would get a condo in maui like that's like right and it's it's sort of right. like a, a white kind of thing i thought at the yeah. like watching it again i'm like because he kind of laughs and he's like oh yeah yeah you know he had to maintain the lie he's like yeah yeah, yeah. And, and just like he probably even if, if he was a million million super millionaire he probably wouldn't go to maui yeah but I don't know, the movie feels like watching it this time, I felt like this is like two different movies. Absolutely. It's, it's the Jonathan Fisher story about this, this news report and, you know, him and his girlfriend and what's happening to him and this fast moving story, you know, story, the movie, the pace of the movie is really fast in that, you know, suddenly he's getting, uh, you know, talk to a dinner by by tv news producers and and then suddenly he's a tv star and and that happens like overnight which i don't think that would but uh you know so you've got that whole storyline versus morgan freeman's fast black and what is this character's actual life is like and how he's hearing about some reporters based a story on him even though that's just pure coincidence 
that what Reeve or Fisher's describing is very similar to the fast black character. Everyone sort of assumes that that's him. Uh, but his, you know, daily life and what what's going on with him. And then finally they intersect with each other and uh, where it starts to get dark. But um, I don't know. Do you do you believe do you guys believe this story? Do you feel like it's a believable the way it's told here? I, I do not. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I do not. It seems very dramatic, like Hollywood dramatic. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, not, I mean, it's everything impossible, but it's just weird. Like, I don't know, like it, there's a lot of convenience conveniences. And to your point, like the, the pacing is really off. Like at the back end of the movie, like they're jumping basically from scenes of, of Christopher Reeve in prison, talking to a lawyer, not always his lawyer. Sometimes it's the other lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then it's like to, to fast black. And like, you have no idea how much time is like going on in between, but there's huge chunks of time that have happened because I mean, the, the Kathy Baker character, you know, gets killed at one point and it's like, well, when did we don't see any of that other than her talking to fast black after she leaves one of these office buildings. And it's like, okay, well, what's, I I don't know. Like it, it, it does feel incredibly fast paced. It feels like, there's a lot of conveniences. It also feels like nobody trusts Christopher Reeves. Like the, the lawyers don't trust Christopher Reeves. His girlfriend doesn't trust him. His uh, fast black doesn't even trust him. And he's like the evil dude. Like, he's, you know, I'm just like, this is it's just kind of weird. I don't does, know. Does All of us trust him? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, well, yeah, they, they, at least they say they do. Yeah. But, but that's yeah. a good point. The, the pacing, I, I had a big problem with the movie this time, just because of the pacing. It just moves, I, like you mentioned, that the timeline is really hard to keep up with, yeah. which, you know, if it, was, if it was clearer that this is happening over the course of six months, eight months, whatever, like that would be probably make it a little bit easier to swallow, a little more realistic. But it feels like, is this happening over like a week? Like, you know, every, nothing. It feels yeah. like it, right? It definitely well, happens I mean, over months. And he's in prison. He's in jail because he's not like giving the notes. Yeah. Right? Well, everybody the wants art- the notes for the article, so he's in contempt, and he's just in prison. I don't. Yeah. But he but said he didn't have. Well, you know, and then he starts saying he didn't have them. They don't exist. Like I don't understand then- why they don't believe he doesn't have the notes. Because every, you know, decent reporter would have notes. Every, you know, like yeah. there's the assumption that if he did his job, he'd have notes. Yeah. Because yeah. so Jay Patterson is the assistant uh, district attorney. And right. you might recognize him from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course. The movie. You might recognize him. Who did David, he play? Think about it. He's he's uh, like the kid who joins the, uh, uh, the Shredder. Kid? Oh, the oh the 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 thirty year old kid who joins the the clan, his dad. He's He's like the dad dad character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But anyway, he's Jay Patterson's performance a little bit over the top, a little aggressive. um, You know, in every scene, I'm sure that's how he was directed. But you know, he he goes after Jonathan Fisher pretty intensely right off the bat. Makes. No, you know, first attempt to get these notes. He just comes off like kind of the asshole 
uh, route, you know, right away and demands the notes from him and go back and forth. And, and eventually Fisher won't give the notes because they don't exist. No one would believe that he doesn't have the notes. Any reporter would have them. So um, he gets held in contempt, thrown into jail. Like, what are the similarities of the story? Like, Fast Black doesn't have a place in Hawaii. Like, if you just went through and read the story and actually, like, interrogated Fast Black without giving him any information, like, you're going to be able to prove pretty quickly that it's not the same guy. Well, is it that he killed somebody? Is it the coincidence and the timing of that we see yeah. Fast Black in, like, the, one of the first scenes with him uh, sort of kind of coming to the rescue of one of one of uh, his prostitutes and ends wow. up unintentionally killing the the john that's in the room and and uh but i think the timing of that of that happening and then this article coming out is what leads people to believe he's written it about fast black yeah right. it's just it's just bad timing bad luck absolutely but like uh, to me, it seems like a stretch that an article that you didn't write about a person, even if there's similarities, is impossible to prove that you made up, which is how they play this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is impossible to prove that he didn't make it up. Well, uh, that's the thing. It's like there sort of just would have been edit calls to like, all right, the editor, the editor's got to see the notes. Somebody's got to see it. Somebody. Right. And then like, yeah, if the facts of the. The thing, but the DA is convinced. You know, he sees he sees the guy he's targeting as the guy in this article, and then it turns into a conspiracy, like where, you know, he had he changed the story about to say that he didn't have notes, and then he well now he's not going to give up the notes, and then and then they don't exist. Like he just kept changing his story or whatever, so then well, no one knew yeah. what to believe. It's it's like, yeah, just kept bouncing around to that. Like I don't know. Yeah, There's, he was just, certainly super wishy washy. A couple yeah. of phone calls should have crumbled the case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a couple. Yeah. yeah. Art Art Sheffield and Leonard Pike, both both those characters, I don't think were very good at what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The you know, and, and one thing that jumped out at me is the the sort of satirical look at the newspaper side of the story. You know, really just leaning into these rich white people and you know right. just living in a completely different world than fast black and and you know when they kind of parade fast black uh and and kathy baker through that party was just like a little too a little too much you know like didn't that care andre gregory's character just did not feel grounded in reality at all mixed with morgan freeman's character who feels super grounded in reality that the, the, the balance just wasn't right for me. Yeah. Well, I don't know for me, like, I don't know if Morgan Freeman's character was grounded in reality or not, or if they're both just like over embellished, like stereotypes that they're playing against. But one of them does seem satirical in nature and the other is gritty. And like, they don't quite, they don't mix well, you know, like it's, it, they're like two different tones that that as you know like when they're playing against each other just seem to contradict the the storytelling yeah so you know yeah, that's I mean, that's i think the problem here for me when 
you know, they, they allow themselves to meet Fast Black and have, they have Jonathan Fisher bring Fast Black to the, this party that the editor is having, which is all rich white people. And Fast Black is like recruiting, you know, seemingly oh, yeah. recruiting all or not all, but the, the editor's wife and a, a few other people. And it's like they're falling like they're, you know, obviously a different stat, cultural status level. And kind of enamored by it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I you know, they're yeah. just playing along. But at a certain point, like we see earlier in the movie when when Jonathan Fisher has his girlfriend played by Mimi Rogers kind of go into a, a, a seedy bar and then another uh, pimp, you know, basically just takes possession of her. Like we see how quickly those situations can change and how dominating those characters can be and how dangerous it truly is, but they're just flaunting it at that party. They're just flaunting, you know, that uh, it's almost, it's almost like a joke to them. Right. Well, well, that's what, and that's why it was so important for, for black to to say i know what they were i know how they saw me i know she she buys their shit i don't he knew he was being put on as a spectacle and he played he leaned right into it he didn't yeah. care he, yeah. he 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 knew exactly all this bs that was going on but he was and pissed like, off later about it well, well like, he was pissed off because he felt like christopher reese right was playing him like he didn't know that like like he was dumb mm-hmm. yeah, but he's not dumb he's right. streets yeah he's he's treating <laughs> but like that's yeah like when he's like yeah you guys did a really good job he's like don't don't patronize me <laughs> like mm-hmm. i know i know i was good like yeah yeah i know all this bs like so it's uh you know he he knew he knew how he as a as a black man as a pimp uh you know as a, a man from the street was being looked at by all these rich white people with high high status white people and uh you know he was basically making fun of them like yeah right by being there and <clears throat> and playing up all these like playing up all this his role like he's like some sort of exotic kind of specimen of human of, of humans like you know oh the oh this 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 and like they only they're only interested in him because he's also wealthy right like think of like like there's such a such a stigma of sex work and you know it's how criminal criminalized it is and all of that but so he's a, if he's a pimp for all these sex workers the, doing all these illegal stuff, but he's rich and wealthy and owns a owns condos everywhere. Sure, come into the party, like because we're all rich. We're we're all rich together. You're just you're just different. You're weird. You're a different kind of breed of person. That's why he was accepted. They they almost believed he was super wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, also, am I mistaken? But like some of the interactions that Kathy Baker had with some of the other characters that were in that party it led me to believe like they had history, yeah. right? Well, like yeah. she, they she were, mentioned they were, that she knew like yeah. there was somebody that she knew there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, you know, so there's everyone's in on it. Like, like this is just part of life in the city. Right. But you can be rich, you can be a criminal and you can be rich and you can be a pimp or you could be like whatever, some sort of stock insider, stock trader, executive, government person, whatever, any number of things. And you could all go to the same party, you know, and but he sees it as uh, but black sees it as the bullshit that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so if he wasn't, yeah, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't otherwise belong there. Um, right. You know, I mean, and that's knows. why, and that's why when, um, uh, 
Andre Gregory came up to him and, you know, like we talked about earlier, asked him about the, the condo in Hawaii. It was, it was kind of fortifying that, you know, like we're different, but we're the same, you know, we're kind of at the same level. We're neighbors. Right. Right. And so, you know, yeah, that helps kind of solidify that, that, that thinking there. Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime, you know, Fast Black wants Fisher to basically write him an alibi that will get him off of. For, so he's he's on trial for uh, for the murder of, uh, of you know the person he killed in the beginning of the movie that we were just talking about. So he wants to use they want to use each other. You know he wants Fast Black wants to use Fisher to give him an alibi to say he was not anywhere near there on, you know, the date of the murder because he was with Fisher, like in a different part of town doing something public uh, that would get him, him uh, off of the case. So yeah, it's interesting how they seem to need each other for a while. And there's some great, I mean, we talked about how great of a performance this is by Morgan Freeman. And there's a couple of scenes in particular of just absolute intensity. Uh, one where he is showing Jonathan Fisher around town and has him in the front seat. It's interesting that this all takes place in the front seat of their car. It's a, it's a you know, a um, bucket seat. Old Cadillac, bench yes. seat Cadillac. Yeah. So uh, Jonathan Fisher is stuck in the middle where they pull over. They see one of, uh, one of, Fast Black's uh, ladies who has been potentially, you know, skipping out on uh, on him and, and trying to go into business for herself. And you see Fast Black kind of <clears throat> lull her into the car sitting right next to Fisher where he breaks, was it a Yoohoo bottle? And, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> holds the glass right up to her face and is, you know, is threatening her that I'm going to kill you if you you know, you, you belong to me. And if you don't think so, I'm going to kill you. And when Fisher tries to just get him to back off, like he shoves the glass right in his face too. So you see, that's the first turn that you see of that character of like, this guy is lethal. And, and this is, he's almost like a wild animal. Um, Yeah. Don't be confused by, by his, his uh, behavior. Like he could snap. Yeah. And then go ahead. You almost still be on his side, even though you know he beats up the John. But the the John was beating the crap out of the woman, so he was doing his job, protecting her. Right. So, so it's like, oh man, he's got a be- like. Sure, it was an accident, but he didn't actually you know kill the guy. You know, in a sense, like he was, he contributed to it or whatever. There is a there is a manslaughter kind of thing, but he was yeah. up for murder too. Like this is you know it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But you so but yeah and so but he, like Morgan Freeman is charming, smart, intuitive, like just smart, you know, and then he flips and it's, it's scary. Like I was like, uh, you wanted to, I, I liked his character until he was, became super violent. Like, Oh no, he's so threatening and menacing. Like that's scary as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, towards the end of the movie when he has, uh, Kathy Baker's characters become more and more friendly with Jonathan Fisher. I mean, first they, they do sleep together, uh, but they, you know, she always, it's funny. She always seems to know exactly where he is. He's doing his reporting somewhere in the city. Like she mm-hmm. just always shows up. 
Yeah. But, um, you know, she, she's getting a more honest relationship with him and fast black does not like that. And, is worried about who she's talking to and what she's saying and is she becoming a threat to him and that there's a scene where where he you know puts a scissors in her face and screaming at her i could rip out your nose or i could snip off your lips but you've been looking where you shouldn't so it's your eyes that need to be punished so i tell you what i'm gonna do I'm going to take an eye. Just one eye. I have to tell me which one you want me to take. The left one? And you want me to take the right no. one? What, left? No. No. Well, which one? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. You're going to take the left eye. No. The right? No, the please. left. Please. Well, which one? You want me to take the right I don't know. Left. I don't know. Right? I don't know. You want me to take the right? I don't know. Left. 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 He's gonna cut one of her eyes out, and yeah. she gets to pick which one. And it's such an intense, intense scene. It's really brilliant. Just the performances of both actors. Of you know, you you completely buy it, and it's, I mean, it's it's chilling. Yeah, it's probably. I think this. I mean, for me, I, you're right. It, it, it's a very strong scene. I think it's probably the strongest scene in the movie. Yeah, I mean, there, there's the, any scene where Fast Black is dominating someone, even when he pulls Jonathan Fisher into the back room of their restaurant and like beats him up really. Right. Like Superman just got his butt kicked by this guy. Um, you know, the, those are all really powerful scenes because it just shows the strength of this character who doesn't look like a strong, tough guy, but he knows how to use it Right. because he's street smart. Street smart. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, now, the ending of the film, I actually really liked the ending the first time I saw it. And this time I was, I didn't love it as much. Uh, you know, the, 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 I could have gone with a, we mentioned the pace being so fast. I could have gone with a little bit slower in the, in the third act where we're yeah. building, we're building and building maybe like 10 more minutes or something. Um, you know, where we see everybody's in danger for whatever reason, but it's happening so fast. It's really hard to, to just be able to digest the whole thing. And so he quickly Fisher quickly manipulates. Uh, I, I forgot the name of uh, fast black sidekick character. Oh, right. But uh, um, his buddy, why do, to... why do I want to call him Roscoe? It's not Roscoe. Is it? uh, <laughs> Reggie. Yeah. Reggie. Reggie that he, manipulates reggie into seeming like he's turning on on fast black and then uh ends up when fast black is just out like legitimately just looking for him because reggie's been gone uh reggie panics and ends up shooting and killing fast black and it's just for such a an intense performance and such a great role it feels like such a cop out of an ending to me that well yeah just, it, yeah it all happened like i mean it it 
even before then, it's like, it goes from that really awesome, intense scissor scene to like a scene in the prison or in the jail. Then it's like, it cuts to a scene and then Christopher Reeve's girlfriend gets stabbed. Then it cuts back to the prison. Then it cuts to uh, Kathy Baker walking out of a building and Morgan Freeman walking up to her. Which is a great scene also right there. That's it's super wordless. quick though. Like there's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's not a lot. And then it cuts back to the scene. It's like, oh, Kathy Baker's dead. And then Christopher Reeves is like, I've got the notes. And then he's out of jail. And then, and then he sets up Reggie. And then it's, it's like, dude, wait, what? Like yeah. all like that all happens in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, really wait, quick. what? Like what just happened? What? Yeah. And it's yeah. well, and it's not, yeah, not only is it that quick, but like, yeah, it doesn't really pay off. Like obviously black is a murderer and a, and a, and a legit threat and Reggie, you know, Reggie stabbed uh, Mimi Rogers. Oh yeah, for like, sure. So he, you know, he's kind of, and then he just, he turns, he, he manipulates them to turn them on each other. And he, he, boy, could, boy, could, uh, Jonathan Fisher ask for a better outcome. He, he, right. he got, he got the pimp murdered by his first lieutenant, and that guy's going to go to jail forever. <laughs> and, yeah, and it happens in a second. Like, you know, he couldn't have asked for a better ending. <laughs> like, yeah. And he can yeah. complete his story. He gets away with it. He gets everything. Yeah. And he's just tied up. He, he gets Mimi Rogers back. He doesn't have to worry about Kathy Baker anymore. Cause she's dead. Like she's, every, he's, he's ruined so many lives. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's caused up. the death of at least two people. One sent to jail forever. Right. And God knows how scarred his, his fiance was. Right. And then yeah. he presu- presumably he would just have, and then, well, I mean, at least the DA threatens Jay Patterson threatens him at the end. Like I'm, co- I'm still coming for you. Yeah. And, uh, which is kind of not, I'm glad at least that scene was in there because like, yeah, you're not a good dude, man. Like I know, yeah. like that's the thing. Like that's the he's hero's not. ending, right? But like, why is he a hero? He's yeah. not. He's not. Like he's, he's pers- just yeah. as like despicable and untrustworthy and kind of deceptive as anybody else in this whole thing. Yeah. He's yeah. I mean, he's a he's he's a liar. Like he established yeah. himself as a liar straight out the gate. Yeah like uh yeah but you can imagine that even if he loses his job at the newspaper he's still a tv star at this point oh he's gonna write a book he's he's Geraldo, right he's like Geraldo. yeah he would exactly he'd be he'd be hosting something on on 24-hour news right now it it would be every night it would be (laughs) it would be like donahue it would be fisher with an exclamation point (laughs) seriously probably so so good good for him yeah but oh it'd be jerry springer but he oh yeah yeah so it's just like and it's just a shame because it's just you know and we have that one moment where like what he you know profiling this pimp this pimp um and he gets called out by that other news reporter who happened to be black or not happened to be black she was a black she was a black reporter like who probably worked her way up to be an anchor and like she's seeing him get offered this job because of one news story mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. exploitive of of a black person making their way through you know through through the system he's doing it his own way it might be technically legal so she calls him out she's like 
if you don't think it's racist it's still racist it's like and that's the only commentary on like the the actual racism that's going on yeah, uh, yeah. for it so it's, it it feels heavily racist this movie a lot of a lot of white people benefit from the the from yeah. the from uh, the tendency of uh, minorities and black people to li- specifically live in this cat this like lower class where they they have to they resort to criminal activities just to survive and you know what's but like sex work is it like why was it, it but that was criminalized to make sure that they're keep, keeping that those folks down you know it's like you can have yeah. a moral objection to sex work for sure you know but that's ne- that's never going away and then it was a way to make sure to keep sort of everyone in line mm-hmm. you know because it yeah the... yeah yeah i mean you've got a white male savior situation happening here yeah well, kind of yeah. like you also have in glory just saying oh for sure yeah. no. Which um, is the, the the thing on that movie now and and Reggie, by the way, played by Eric King, who uh, who was Sergeant Dokes on uh, first season of Dexter, first two seasons of Dexter. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I yeah, did not was, know that. He was Dokes, so uh, I knew he looked familiar. I'm like, who yeah. is that? Um, that was 30 years later, but yeah. no, 20 years. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, no, good good performances by everybody involved. Yeah, I I mean, I wonder what um what a you know, I feel like if this movie were made today, you would have a very different ending and oh, potentially yeah. even a much darker ending that what would that be? I mean, wh- is there, is there an ending where, where fast black gets away, you know, where he survives and Fisher maybe doesn't. Yeah. There's a version of that for, for sure. sure. And yeah. is that more, a little more compelling? Probably, probably but, today. Yeah, I think yeah, it's going to be done with social media. It's going to be done. It's like I already don't want to see this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you'd almost want to set it still in 1987. But, yeah, you know, from the today's filmmaking perspective. But I don't know. Does does Fisher end up getting killed? You know, I mean, they probably flip everything, deserves. right? Yeah. Like all all roles would be kind of reversed. I, yeah, I which I ultimately do think it would be more compelling, just yeah. in general. They could gender swap it and with Melissa McCarthy in the lead and they, it's a comedy now. <laughs> they just make it a loose comedy. Wasn't that no. Heat? Didn't you guys see that one? Uh, heat, I thought was actually, that that Heat funny. was really funny. Was it called Heat? Yeah, The Heat. It was with, called The Heat. Oh, with the heat, Sandra yeah. Bullock and yeah. Melissa McCarthy? Yeah. yeah, that was a fun little movie. Yeah. Not to be Not, confused with Michael Mann's Heat, which correct. is also amazing. Which right? I just bought. Not he, funny. The, I bought the book of Heat too. Just going off. off I think I, I think I saw you posted. Yeah, I'm not, sent, I'm not ready. Sent us, yet, a, sent us a, an image. Oh, that's yeah, right. that's right. Um, okay, now uh, is it time for a trivia answer? Did anybody? Let me go through. Looks like some of the tweets. Maybe I. The answer. Do you guys know the answer? I mean, we gave clues throughout the course of this when we brought up Michael Keaton, but mm-hmm. oh, but uh, all right, what is it, Brent? You got it. I feel like you know it. I think it was the next movie that was done, Clean and Sober, right? Clean and Sober, Morgan Freeman, Kathy Baker, uh, you know, supporting roles in nineteen eighty-eight, the very next year. Yeah, very next year. Yeah, how about that? 
So not there you go. done by the Canon guys. So not, not done by the, the uh, oh man, Colin and Globus. They just, I, I could talk about those guys as I did. You could talk about them for days. Yeah. I have not seen Clean and Sober, but I oftentimes get it confused with My Life, which is another Keaton movie, oh. mm-hmm. um, which I have seen and I think is really good. But has anybody seen it? Clean I have not. I feel like I saw Clean and Sober or parts of it a long time ago not enough well enough to remember I, yeah. I used to kind of confuse some of those michael keaton movies of the late 80s yeah like was it the squeeze and i mean i did love dream team um yeah well <laughs> that's classic yeah dream team mr mom yeah gung-ho gung-ho yeah what was the the newspaper one that he did the uh the paper was it the paper? There's the yeah, the paper, but that was like more in the mid nineties, I think. Yeah. Oh, the man, Michael Keaton's had a great career, just like Morgan great... Freeman. Has. Absolutely, yeah. We got to get more Michael Keaton on the show. Oh, that'll yeah, and more more and more Morgan Freeman. More Morgan Freeman. The, the door is now open in both cases. We so, can yeah. do. We should do noises off. That's another Chris Chris movie ensemble with Christopher Reeve. That's a great movie. That's and, right. And you know what, David, you had that on your list. For this whole time since the whole time so if we're if oh, we have we to follow definitely up should, right. yeah let's get it together 2023 first quarter noises off got it you you and the family will love that yeah it's, no it's i think so they do fun. i think they already do love it so oh they've already seen it yeah yeah I'm it's sure a play right noises off is a play yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it's definitely it's the, the original thing is a play yeah and it's about making a play oh. <laughs> so so now they did a film about making the play. Making, got it. Okay. That's great. It's, oh, it's so good. Mary Lou Henner. Mark. I remember Mark, when it came out. Mark I, Lynn Baker. Yeah. Mark Lynn Baker in a movie. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, should we talk a little box office glory or sure. not so much glory for this one? unfortunately well but yes. why 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 wasn't it i mean why well, wasn't their box office glory they're they're the cannon boys golan and globus uh just wrapped up in their worlds of delta force and over the top and masters of the universe uh, uh are are really lose faith in this movie and and it only ends up coming out in 300 theaters. So it really stands no shot of having a successful run, which had to be heartbreaking for Christopher Reeve because this was his ticket out of Superman. Um, The budget ended up being about $6 million. It was released on March 20th, 1987 against Burglar. Uh, But unfortunately, it does not even crack. It doesn't crack the top 15. I don't think it cracks the top 20. It's it's really you can't even find it on on opening weekend, um, you know, still in theaters at that point and, and on hot successful runs is Lethal Weapon, Platoon still, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And uh, this one ends up with only a total of one point one million dollar domestic run. Um, it ends up at number one hundred seventy seven of nineteen eighty seven smack right between King Kong lives and swimming to Cambodia. So Mm. way off Mark uh, makes no impact at all. 
but you know, uh, clearly we grew up seeing it in video stores. So maybe it made up some of that gap. I, I don't know if 5 million was going to make it up in, in home video, but uh you know, probably at least lessened the the injury there. What what parent like brought their kid to the store and the Superman movies were all rented and as a friend and then like oh well wait here's here's Superman in the street smart here's this R R rated <laughs> oh, he's a news reporter cool yeah. cool yeah like let's let's do that oh and Morgan yeah. Freeman he's cool uh, and <laughs> like oh, Morgan Freeman from that that kid show <laughs> so what like somewhere in America there's some kid. Who wanted to see a Superman movie couldn't do it, like they were not available, and their parents brought them home, or they picked that up, yeah, and then they got a whole different, <laughs> whole different thing, whole different night. But how how disappointing had to it have been for Christopher Reeve, like this being so unsuccessful, and then and not even, I mean, I guess critically, but not for him, you know, critically for Morgan Freeman, amazing, right. like this well, is but- a career maker. Yeah, and I mean, the draw of this movie was probably Christopher Reeves at the time, right? Like, he was the biggest name in it. And, I mean, you see, like, after this movie comes out, Superman 4 comes out, there's, like, one other movie called Switching Channels, and then it's TV movies from that point forward, like TV shows and TV movies. So, like, it it had a direct effect, I think, on on his career moving forward um you know the the lack of box office draw uh outside of a superman movie and well, even then even, like superman 4 doesn't carry it you know yeah i mean even with superman superman 4 which i did see in the theater so uh, did i yeah was a disaster i mean it's one of the yeah it's worst awful. i mean worst big budget action movies I mean, again, we went deep into that one in in our in our canon group episode, but uh, yeah. you know why that went off the rails and what Golan and Globus did to kind of cut the legs out from the movie. Um, yeah, but, but I, yeah, I would really say I would say canon canon had a huge huge impact on the the on Christopher Reeve's career, like yeah. the you know his his movie career. Well, those guys there was there was a limit to what they knew how to do well and when they went outside of that box it was a disaster yeah so um yeah yeah it's uh it's unfortunate for for reeve that it it took a while to even start to recover from this uh but on the other hand morgan freeman and even kathy baker really got to you know, a big boost up from this one. So yeah. it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. I mean, but again, their performances outshine mm-hmm. kind of all of that, you know, yeah. and, and Christopher Reeves, you know, I think Kathy Baker and Morgan Freeman were more unknown going mm-hmm. into this. And so, you know, they come in unknown, deliver stellar performances versus Christopher Reeves, who has a built-in audience based on Superman and kind of an expectation of what he is because of 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 those movies, and he's supposed to be the box office draw, and his performance is mm-hmm. mediocre, you know, at best. Yeah. The movie is mediocre. I feel like well, you know, I do. What I'll say is, 
you know, mm-hmm. is it relevant? Is it worth watching now? I will still say yes, because I think those those two performances are so strong that they are worth watching. And I think the the theme of, you know, honesty in media is also an interesting idea to explore. So I feel like from those for those reasons, the movie is worth watching. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna have the probably the greatest impact nowadays. Um, but I would yeah, I would but, still recommend it. But that's so to me what you're saying is like you would recommend it based on the two great performances and the social commentary and how it relates to what media and and everything truth is today and yes. how it kind of evolved to where you know as part of a an evolution to where we are now but that has yeah. nothing to do with christopher reeves or really whether no. or not or really whether or not it's a good movie you know like to me like uh, so i hear you i agree i would see that but i would also say this is a great performance by morgan freeman but he has had so many amazing performances since mm-hmm. and some that I feel like are much stronger. I will say that this is interesting in that it is very different than what most of those great performances are. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and so like for that, like, I think you're right. I would totally watch it for, and for that, in that regard. He's, he's said too, that of all his Oscar nominated performances which i think there's been quite a few and uh, this was his favorite still to this day yeah and i wonder if because it's just i mean it is very unique compared to i mean i just don't i can't think of anything off the top of my head where he's well it's also he didn't have the pressure on him because he was not a known commodity coming into this movie that he could do it and oh it's fair. had yeah. nothing to lose you know whereas all those movies later on that he has, you know, there's more pressure on him to perform. Yeah, those freckles were not yet recognizable. (laughs) For sure. Um, Uh, And one real quick before we're done, just because a little shout out, because I do love Christopher Reeves, him circling back and doing Smallville. It was like kind of one of the last things that he he did before before he passed away. But I thought that that was totally great. I'm a huge fan of Smallville. I've seen every episode. And when he showed up, I was like, it was awesome. And yeah. so, you know, like, I don't know that it meant much to him, but it's like anybody who was a fan of his Superman movies and all that, you know, to have him come back and be a part of that, even though it was a small part and only in a couple episodes, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, Christopher Reeve, yes, totally agree that that's awesome to come full circle. And I, I think his, his character shows Clark, I think he named the planet Krypton or something like that. Yeah. Shows some where Krypton was and unlocks a lot of lore for Clark on Smallville. Yeah. So it was like, it was a total passing of the torch kind yeah. of thing. Um, even though Smallville had been on the air for like three, four years by then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it took a little bit still... to convince him to come back to su- the Superman world. Oh, I'm sure it did. Well, you know, it's like, I, you know, Terry Hatcher came back, mm-hmm. uh, 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 but Terry Hatcher wasn't typecast as Superman for their whole career, you know. No, I understand, but yeah. a lot of a lot of old school Superman folks uh, did come back. So. They, they oh, couldn't yeah. get they Mark, couldn't get the hack. 
Couldn't get hacked. Well, he got Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder, I, th- I think, appeared once or yeah, twice. Yeah, Margot Kidder. And um, then, I mean, played, uh, Smallville's great. Like, I think it's awesome that they had everybody kind of come through yeah, uh, at some, some point. Except the hack. You're right. Well, We're, Christopher and Reeves. And Ned Beatty. Yeah. Christopher Reeve, his whole second half of his career, you know, with his after his accident and the humanitarian work that he did was really, I mean, I think ultimately had a greater impact, more personal impact for people than, than anything he did prior to that. He'll always be remembered for Superman, of course, but, uh, but um, really an incredible person uh, for what he had to deal with in the last, what I think 10 years of his life before he, he finally passed away. But um well, I think when he did small, he did Smallville as, as as kind of as a promotional thing for the work he was doing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't just like they they asked him to come back. They did they did a PSA at the end of each episode, and I think and you know promoted the the work that was going on. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but uh, anyway, I think um, <clears throat> my opinion is that Street Smart is a movie that should be revisited. Don't have super high expectations. But uh, for just for those two performances and and the general theme, I think it's it is worth watching. It's a quick watch. It's as we talked about the yeah. fast pace. I mean, it's an yeah. only only like an hour and thirty seven minutes, I think. So yeah, thirty two, thirty seven. Yeah, some like something like that. But um, yeah, so I don't know. There we go. That's a, that's a, that's Street Smart here. Hey, Any, all right. Good job, Any everybody. Final thoughts before we wrap it up, and we've got uh, we've got another another episode coming up in September, and then David's favorite month, Shocktober, is right around the corner. We Absolutely. may have some special guests coming up uh, in the next. Whoops, ready Guests in the next few uh, episodes. So, Pinhead yes. himself, Pinhead's back, and not uh, the actor, yeah, the, the the actual character. We should throw some Hellraiser into one of these Octobers. We'll, yeah, we'll, one, we'll, once we get through the other garbage. We, we got a garbage. Oh. Got a lot of, we got a lot of Michael Myers and uh, Freddy Krueger and uh, Jason Voorhees still to get through. But then we'll get the munchies in there. Yeah. Jason's not an October thing. He's no, just a no. Friday 13th. I don't even. I don't know when our next Friday the Thirteenth is going to be. Sometime next year. But I think it's an. Is it? Uh, I don't. I don't want to say, but I, yeah, I feel like I've looked. Yeah, I'm sure I have too. I think it's but... first first quarter of next year, if I remember correctly. I don't want to objectify the man, but Chris Relieve looked really good in all of his '80s costumes, right? Like those '80s costumes. At one point, he was essentially wearing a members-only jacket. Oh, yeah, and you know how and, I feel about those jackets. And he had the white suit on at the end. <laughs> I'm like, fan. man, he's got the he's got a great costumer. Like he. I, he was I Superman. Own a members only jacket, okay? And I yeah. wear it regularly. So I'm just saying he I knew how to, to get wear that gray clothes. one though. And that he that Reeves, you know, that he's wearing in this movie. I, I need that one. Yeah. One I had in third grade. Yeah. It's a good jacket. Yeah. No, but you're right, David. He he always he always looked great. He's a dapper dude. Yeah. Just yeah. Just knows how to wear a suit. Yep. He knew, he was a dapper wear a dude. Suit. Anyway. Uh, Christopher Reeve, not to be confused with George Reeves, who also played Superman and has an S at the end of his name. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, I, growing up, I did the same thing. I always say Christopher Reeves, Christopher Reeves, and, and like it's just it, you know because no, it was George Reeves. And Show we all do it. It's a, it's an easy and common mistake. So. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on our social medias. We're Reconsideration Podcast on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can check our archives out at reconsideration.com. Uh, don't forget to rate and review our shows. That gives us a, a, a boost way up into the, the internet stratosphere. So please don't hesitate to do that. And then uh, check out our, our friend E.K. Wimmer, who does our, our theme song. Check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Uh, and uh, thank you to him. Thank you to uh, our friend Curtis Moore for the poster. And we will see you on the next episode of Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now. He touched your heart in Driving Miss Daisy. No. He'll make your blood run cold in Street Smart. I'll blow your brains out right now. Morgan Freeman is brilliant, unforgettable. This is one scary dude. Do you think about dying, man? Street Smart is electric, superb, very entertaining. For the first time on television, Christopher Reeve, Morgan Freeman, in his Academy Award-nominated performance, Street Smart. Saturday at 9, it's on Fox 24.